Welcome to This Week in the Warner Archive Collection, where we discuss our newest releases. I'm George Feltenstein, and I'm proud to be joined by my colleagues, Matt Patterson and D.W. Ferranti. It's June and July as we celebrate the lovely, talented June Allison with four of her new films that are among the many new delights being added to the Warner Archive Collection that we're going to talk about in this week's podcast. We'll also be talking about the latest additions to Warner Archive Instant, our subscription video-on-demand service that's getting snazzier and more exciting by the day. So lots to talk about. Let's go over the new releases right now. First of all, the lovely June Allison was a big star at MGM for many years, and we have four of her films new to DVD, including The Secret Heart, High Barbary, Too Young to Kiss, and The Girl in White. Now, moving from June Allison movies that we're putting out in July, we have a multi-Emmy-winning television series where the fifth season is arriving on DVD, courtesy of the Warner Archive Collection. That is, of course, the wonderful Children's Hospital, season five, and we'll talk about that. Speaking of television, we also have motion pictures made for television, and we have a fine group of very impressive films from the 80s and the 90s that are sure to interest all of you. Don't Look Back, the story of Satchel Paige, The Long Summer of George Adams, Our Family Honor, Where Are My Children, and of course, Marriage is Alive and Well. So lots to talk about, and we'll also have even a letter to share with you today. A letter. We love getting letters. We're going to talk about that. But let's talk about the always perky, wonderful June Allison and her four films that we're bringing to DVD for the very first time. And we'll start with The Secret Heart. I'd just like to say that whenever I approach June Allison in a block, which is just this time, first of all, I couldn't help but keep my grandmother's advice about June Allison films in my head. And Wait, she, wait. Your grandmother gave you advice about June Allison films? Yes. Do tell. Uh, my grandmother was known to have said, and this is also my father reported this as well, so it wasn't, I was making sure. She said, oh, June Allison, they love her because she cries so well. Well, and indeed that was true. And when I interviewed Margaret O'Brien mm-hmm. for her podcast interview Speaking for the War Crying Well. She was talking about how June Allison was such a good crier. Her mother got her, Margaret uh-huh. O'Brien, to cry by saying, you don't want June Allison to be the best crier on that, do you? <laughs> and uh, there's a running gag. I had the great good fortune of being friendly with June. Later in her life, I knew her in the late 80s and through the 90s. and. Um, she passed away, I guess, probably about eight or nine years ago. But she's a great, wonderful woman, and uh, until she took ill, she was vivacious and filled with the kind of spirit that you saw in her performances. She really was very much like her personality on TV. And uh, I say TV because she became known toward the end of her life Mm -hmm. for doing commercials for Depend Undergarments, which made her the no pun intended, the butt of jokes. The reason why she was a spokesperson for that product was that her mother had an incontinence issue and she was so 
pleased with that product that she volunteered to do so. I'll tell this story because it is funny and it relates to the fact that she was very often teamed with Van Johnson as her leading man. And two of the films we'll talk about today Mm -hmm. are co-starring Van Johnson. And there was an event that we had in 1997 at Carnegie Hall where it was Carnegie Hall salutes the MGM musical stars. Mm -hmm. And both June Allison and Van Johnson appeared on stage introducing their clips. And Van Johnson was uh, a wisecracker and he came on and made a Depends joke <laughs> on the stage, which kind of got June a little angry. <laughs> I think kind of in a fun way, but they, they got along. And there were two people that she had great screen chemistry with and made many films with. One, of course, was James Stewart, and the other was Van Johnson. So we have two Van Johnson movies today to talk about. But the first one has no Van Johnson, but it does have. Walter Pigeon and the lovely Claudette Colbert and June Allison is playing very much against type in The Secret Heart. And this movie for an MGM movie directed by Robert G. Leonard is really a change of pace all the way through. All the way through. Very different. Now was this one of her earlier films? Uh, This is in the middle of her career and just to kind of go over her career very very quickly she grew up in not the best of conditions. They were family issues. She was very, very poor. She grew up in New York. Her real name was Ella Geisman. And she finally got a job as a Corrine on Broadway. And then she would go out to Brooklyn and do Vitaphone shorts in the late 30s. Uh-huh. And then she got a job in a couple of Broadway shows with significant parts, eventually landing one of the major roles in Best Foot Forward. And when Best Foot Forward went west and became a movie, June was part of the package. Both June and Nancy Walker were part of the original Broadway cast that were hired to be in the movie. And she got an MGM contract out of it. And there are wonderful stories about that. What happened was when she came to MGM, they took away some years on her birthday. (laughs) That that was why I was asking. (laughs) Because I always thought it was a little bit confusing. How could she be making Vitaphone shorts in 1937 Right. when MGM said that her birthday was 1923? She wasn't. Was she 16? I mean, Right, right. So um, when, when she passed away, it was publicly acknowledged that she was born in 1917. But when we were making right. That's Entertainment 3 and she had to fill out her employment card and, yeah. you know, the day player card, you have to put your birthday there. And I was like, oh, there it is, 1917. <laughs> so, um, but she looked wonderful and youthful and uh, she had a buoyant personality. But... Her stardom at the studio, while primarily for being the perky, effervescent America's sweetheart, that's pretty much her reputation. There were a few darker roles, and The Secret Heart was certainly Mm. casting her against type. And uh, it's really Claudette Colbert, who's the star of the film. Walter Pigeon is her romantic lead. And uh, she's a troubled woman. A very troubled woman. We see the origins of the trouble. 
And it's Gene Allison playing a suicidal teen, essentially. This is like a proto Holden Caulfield. And sort then, of. and then an obsessive stalker as oh, well. Oh, she is And it's not weird even too shaped. because this is two years after she did music for Millions and played the oh. you know soon to be having a baby older sister of Margaret O'Brien. So they were playing around with her right. age. Kind of weirdly. She's got a little bit of a smoky voice. Yes, well, her her voice was... Because she's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but in general, she had a very deep voice. Yeah. And her distinctive low voice was one of her characteristics. Oh, yeah. But that comes in in, in Secret Heart. She starts out playing like a 16-year-old right. here. But she's an angry embittered 16 mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. this is not a sweet 16 and that was why it was good for her to to stretch her acting ability yeah. and show that she wasn't just a musical comedy performer or the sweet young innocent romantic lead that she could do various types of roles mm -hmm. and she would make movies that we have in the Warner Archive collection like her Highness and the Bellboy, and mm -hmm. uh, or in a year after The Secret Heart, she made Good News, which is she's playing a collegiate, uh, you know, right. uh, leading lady in love with football hero Peter Lawford. So she was very, very versatile. And we really should mention for the film fans out there that may not know this film, there is a very significant actor with a supporting role playing a doctor. Mm. Oh, yes, a very... But a, a, a very Gillespian doctor. Yeah, Li um, Lionel Barrymore should... Uh, and this is definitely from the Gillespie era, right? He was making and, the Dr. Gillespie series at this time. And yeah. I'm a huge Dr. Gillespie fan. So this is not only a DVD debut, it's a home video debut. This film's never been available on home video before. It's got an all-star cast, a great director, and a very poignant provocative and interesting uh, scenario with a great set of performances and uh, we're proud to add it to the Warner Archive collection. And if you're a Doctari fan, you'll see a very young Marshall Thompson. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say Judy the Chimp and I can <laughs> remember that. I don't think she'd been born yet. <laughs> no. The following year in 1947, Van Johnson, who I spoke about earlier, was the leading man in another certainly non-comedic film, High Barbary. And this is a serious film in which uh, Van Johnson and June Allison are the leads, and it's a wartime story. It's a wartime story that's told in a very interesting, it has a great structure, but essentially Van Johnson is a down pilot who is going through his life and his relationship with June Allison's character. They've had to dish in the Pacific Ocean. The only two survivors are Van Johnson's character and Cameron Mitchell's yeah. character. Cameron Mitchell's character is in bad shape, as is Van Johnson's character. But Van Johnson's trying to keep them both alive by recounting the story of his life. But in recounting the story of his life, the tale takes an almost fantastical turn of, of Hence, a, a romantic barbary yes. right which was the name of his plane and the name of Shangri-La where right. they and were it's very, trying to sail through. it's a very interesting story it's from the the gentleman that wrote mutiny on the bounty so they knew mm -hmm. their way around the sea in desperate straits but it has i don't know what you say george sort of a, a little kind of harsh world war II plus kind of the brigadoony thing yeah there's a slight fantasy quality to it and also Here's a little bit of trivia. There is reused stock footage from a very famous MGM movie. Do you know what that is? Mm. No, no. 
you can see the tornado, the twister, oh, the wizard that's of Oz. Awesome. That now made that high, Barbara. That's so funny. <laughs> well, there are two films in which the studio reused that stock footage. That's One of them, funny. Cabin in the Sky. Right. The other is High Barbary. So there's your MGM trivia for the day, folks. That's good. But uh, this is a very, very different kind of film. And I wanted to ask Matt, you noticed the uh, Tokyo Rose in the film? Oh, the Tokyo Rose was, was great. Turn that off. Yeah, do you know whose voice that was? No, I don't. Audrey Totter. Oh, there you go. She did a good impression. She had that good, mean voice. She could have a very good, mean voice. She would lead her eventually to medical school yes. years later. But June Allison and Van Johnson would be reunited four years later for Too Young to Kiss. And this is a warm, lighthearted, romantic comedy that is similar in certain ways to uh, a very famous Billy Wilder movie, The Major and the Minor. And speaking of June Allison playing a kid, yeah. this film involves an adult June Allison character it's playing a kid. Child prodigy. Yes. It's got a little bit of uh, Lolita in it. A little bit of... Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, this is the part where these setups make me uncomfortable because I'm well, from New England. I'm trying to make you uncomfortable, but you could think of it as maybe, you know, the Drew Barrymore film, okay. Never Been Kissed. Where now she goes, very uncomfortable. <laughs> where she goes back to be in high school, but so, instead... So essentially, Gene Allison is a pianist. And can't catch a break. Can't catch a break, but she's talented. Uh, Van Johnson is an impresario who prefers to guide child prodigies. So what's a girl to do but impersonate a child? And get pigtails. Pigtails, bangs, and braces. And, and she pulls it off for a long time until... Well, everybody gets wise to the deal eventually. And, uh, of course, being an MGM film from that era, there is indeed... doesn't spoil the ending to tell you that it's a happy one. Right. There's romance. There's romance. There's fun. I think it's a very witty script. It moves along at a great pace. And it's gig young. Gig Young is terrific, as he is in so many films. He's delightful. The film is delightful. And this is really a quintessential Gene Allison G Van Johnson movie. Gig Young. Now, th this is the good part where the comedy comes in. Gig Young is the boyfriend to the old June Allison, who is also known to Van Johnson, who he doesn't like, because he thinks that the older June Allison is the younger June Allison's sister. Right. He thinks she's mean. And Gig Young bad. keeps getting punched. Yeah. That's my favorite part. <laughs> he no, keeps taking a That's ball. a very Gig Young thing to, to have happen. Now, the following year, in 1952, June Allison would play in a historical drama. Very, very different from Too Young to Kiss. Probably as different as you can get. <laughs> yep. And yes. this is uh, really a, a piece of history told with great respect and uh, admirably so. An early work from John Sturgis, yes? This very is early. one of his very yeah. first films as a director. And he was on staff at MGM. And uh, it's, I think this is a wonderful movie. It's called The Girl in White. And uh, it's a true story. It's a biography of Emily Dunning, the first uh, woman doctor to practice in a New York hospital. You know, there's the setup of what do you do when you bring a woman doctor into the intern setting like she needs Woman's her. got no place being in an ambulance. Exactly. But we know this is one woman who rises to the occasion. And, uh, you know, this is uh, 
very very realistic mm-hmm. yep. it doesn't have any hollywoodisms that that take away from the historical accuracy and it was probably considered provocative in its time because women doctors even in the 50s were still somewhat and it rare. was also you know we this was a previous generation she had broken through that barrier right but now that barrier was definitely coming back up in the post-world war ii past factory girl era and this is very much going like you know calling out that women have a place in the workplace and deservedly so and it is it's speaking to the modern uh, audience i I think this is where you see the dory sherry influence yeah because this is like production like wait a minute you know Let's tell the story. New sexist 50s America. How, how a woman <laughs> broke through the barriers and made history. So a wonderful performance from June Allison uh, and a great cast and a terrific film, The Girl in White. So those four films make up the quartet of new June Allison DVDs that are now available everywhere, including WarnerArchive.com. And speaking of hospital doctors... <laughs> There's a very different kind of hospital and a very different kind of doctor found on the staff, as a matter of fact, several doctors on the staff of Children's Hospital. And that series is now, well, we completed its fifth season and won another Emmy. That's correct. Now they back to back. Back to back Emmys. They just need and a Tony and an Oscar. It's It'll come. seen as part of Adult Swim on the Cartoon Network. And uh, we're proud and delighted to bring you Rob Cordry and Company. It's really an ensemble company, and there's some very impressive guest stars that also appear in this fifth season. So tell us what happens, and it's not children apostrophe S hospital, but it's children's hospital. Yes, because it's... Let's just take, because we did season four, and last season they had to vacate Brazil. Mm-hmm. where the hospital was. And we had a big question for Rob, which is, how are you going to get over, not only did you kill Blake Downs. That's true. You killed the actor that plays Blake Downs. That's right. And I must say. On set. He just, no. he just laughed. And now having <laughs> seen the episode, I understand why he just laughed. It's pretty brilliant. I don't want to spoil anything. I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say but, if you like the Venture Brothers. Oh, gosh, yes. Do you know that when we released the DVD last time, we re-released it right before this season started, and I followed this season pretty religiously because I loved season four so much, and I've been all caught up. And season uh, five is terrific. Henry Winkler is terrific. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, but the, Malali, the fun so reason, the fun reason to tune in this season is that they decide to, well, they don't decide, they wind up in Japan. The termites are in the hospital. So coincidentally, it's going to take 14 weeks to clear up, which is like the length of the run of the show. Yeah. So they go to uh, an army base in Osaka, Japan for 14 weeks. And, right. And the opening episode <laughs> of the trip with the army officer, that the way that plays out in perfect like I've taken a liking to you and you won't see me again <laughs> <laughs> it's MASH and Private Benjamin mixed in with Children's Hospital which adds a whole bunch of new I guess adventures in the Orient Yes, and it being Children's Hospital we take detours into oh. various realms of genre parody, yes. murder mystery, yes. dinner theaters. Uh. Yes. The creativity is just astounding it, because you see, I love dual parody. And yes. They've got so much of that. Oh. And then the uh, uh, old-fashioned day at the hospital. Uh, old-fashioned day was great. And a very, very special 22-minute 
climax. Yes. Because normally they're 11 minutes each. Well, it's a two-parter. It's a two-parter. It's, a, it's the children's but hospital movie. It's it's the equivalent of it. And in a fun way, I'm watching it going, oh, this one seems to be running a little long. And what I thought was really <laughs> was great and clever about that was they, you know, children's hospital always does the sort of out-of-format episodes, which uh-huh. are like the newsreaders and the, and the children's hospital UK. And they have, yeah. we're treated to a documentary from a, Series director David Wayne, co-creator yes. David Wayne, about his friend Falcon, who is, of course, the character that Ken Marino plays, who plays the character that Ken Marino plays. Right. And, Did uh, you catch that? And it's a great parody of, like, the soul-searching documentaries, but at the same time, it foreshadows what we're going to see in the next episode. Right, because you're, you're leading up to it. Although and I have to say, and this shows how low my humor is, the thing that made me laugh the most in that was the scene of the prosthetic makeup going over the beard. Oh, that was funny. Also, there was a, I think my favorite, I guess it would be a B or a C story, was the one character who thought he was stuck in Groundhog Day. Of the time loop. Yeah, he thought, he thought he was in a time loop, but he wasn't. I don't mean to ruin it because you know that, but he thinks he is, that every day is the same. Anyway, this is a so great season. anything that you've heard is a spoiler, make believe that you didn't hear it's, it. And there's no spoilers to Children's Hospital. The level of writing, performing, acting, directing, everything is so top-notch, so first-class. The people that create this show are really geniuses, and it is great entertainment. Children's Hospital, season five, all on one disc because the episodes are so short. Didn't we get to talk to Rob Cordry in a past episode? Someone should look that up because it's definitely there. It's a great conversation. Rob really peels back the curtain on the creative process. There's also some humor to be found. And And speaking of humor to be found, there is humor and entertainment and delight of all kinds. Now we have four television films, one of which was actually a pilot for an unsold series. But we start chronologically with Don't Look Back, the Satchel Page story. And this stars Louis Gossett Jr. and Cleavon Little, and it is the story of baseball great Satchel Page. This is from 1981. This is a story that isn't told very Enough. often. Yes. Right. Satchel Page, remarkable American. And I had not seen this before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louis Gossett Jr. is fabulous. He's this. terrific. And yeah. this was right before An Officer and a Gentleman. So it, it kind of overshadowed that he did this great TV movie because made for television films were looked upon. Made for cable movies are now looked upon with the uh, class and respect that made for television movies that networks did in prior decades were. So there were certain films that were events and very highly rated. This was one of them. And this is a timely story for the world of sports because we just had, there was a historic NFL draft where the first openly gay player was drafted. But this is a a story about African-Americans trying to break away from their uh, segregated uh, Negro League baseball and then coming and being accepted in the major leagues. And this was a huge moment in professional sports. And Satchel Paige's story is often overshadowed overshadowed by by Jackie Robinson, Robinson, as it was in his life. But it's as important a story. And Satchel Paige is, without a doubt, one of the most extraordinary athletes of the 20th century. And, And we're not spoiling anything to say that he does eventually make it to the major leagues. 
at the age of 43. Right, which is also amazing. Uh, yeah, because um, he and I are the same age, yeah. reveal. You're not Willie, playing. Willie, <laughs> didn't Willie Mays play into his 40s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, people yeah. did play into them, I but mean, the fact that I he, had the pleasure of seeing Willie Mays play once. But the fact that he came into the major leagues as a rookie yeah. at yeah, 43. The oldest rookie ever. Is amazing, and it's an amazing story. And I also have a shoulder injury, although I got it from reaching too far behind the laundry yeah. machine to get a sock. Not defeating Dizzy Dean's all No, I didn't, no. <laughs> the next film has nothing to do with Dizzy or Dizzy Dean or Satchel Page, but it does star one of our most favorite actors in the Warner Archive Hall of Fame, and that is Mr. James Garner. And this is The Long Summer of George Adams. And James Garner is remarkable in this as he is in everything but this is like him playing the everyman yeah no and this is also like it's such a james garner movie because he is not playing a hero he's playing somebody who's very much not a hero and yet this was 1982 and if this was like 10 years later this would be like a sundance style independent film yeah yeah, yeah. because it, it's based off of a novel the same guy actually wrote onion head i think that's right. And his production company did this because you could tell he really had an affinity for the character, but it's about... This is right after Brent Maverick. Yeah, and, right. and you, you and noticed who the director was. His buddy. Yeah. And so this is very much a Jim Garner project. Oh, and, yeah. And the basic story here is he works on the railroad on steam engines, and literally the future is passing him by with diesel. This property is condemned. Yeah, it's, it is. And it's, but it's a picaresque. It's not a Southern Gothic. No. It's a picaresque tale of... And every man trying to get through this very difficult transition. Huge transition. And also his very difficult hours. Yes. He's not only works for the train, but he's the night watchman for the town. So he and his wife have a scheduling problem. Of an intimate kind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is really one of those TV movies that just goes to show that something that wouldn't be, as you were saying, like, you know, a Sundance kind of movie later, yeah. something that wouldn't be a marquee no. theatrical release at that time, but it was certainly a story that needed to be told. And at the same time, earlier that year, Garner co-starred with Julie Andrews in one of the most lauded films of, of 1982, and that was Victor Victoria. Right. So he was big screen, small screen, big star. We love James Garner. So look for The Long Summer of George Adams. Um, we should shout out to Joan Hackett, who's wonderful oh, oh, in this. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, as a matter of fact, this is probably one of the last things she did because yeah. she died terribly young. Yeah. But she's a great actress who you can see coming in Dr. Kildare. The next film we have is a pilot television film that did become a brief series, and Eli Wallach stars in Our Family Honor from 1985. And what kind of family honor are we talking about, gentlemen? This is a story of it's two family dynasties. This is the 80s part of now, it. Now, I'm going to – I watched the movie Cold not knowing it was a TV pilot. Me neither. And my jaw dropped. There are so many – Great actors great on the show. The setup is great. I would have been addicted to the show had it just aired earlier or later, and then I would have been very disappointed when it was and canceled. And it probably was a little bit ahead of its time it, because yeah. there were no gimmicks. It's, no. It's like 80s Sopranos. It it's like if the Sopranos were made in the 80s because we've got like a guy in a trench coat and like funny 80s hair with a shotgun. No, and there's, there's like, like to his own hand. the crime the family, family yeah. has honor and the police family has a dark side. Who's who? Which side is which? And 
there's a mystery romance in it that is unresolved in this TV movie, but perhaps is resolved in the show. I mean, probably the lead character is the daughter. Yeah. But it might be the nephew, but there's a granddaughter, rather. Yeah, the granddaughter. Daphne Ashbrook is that character who is just graduated the academy. She comes from a long line of policemen. She doesn't want special favors. No. But she is then suborned to her uncle's precinct, the 101st, and he's played by Tom Mason, and he's very much the rogue super cop. But then on the other side, his opposite number, the son of the Eli Wallet character, is played by Michael Madsen. But then we also have Ray Liotta. This is like pre-dark side Ray Liotta, but he's right there lurking in the background. And her boyfriend, we find out, is actually the reformed son of the mafia family. And so she's dating a mafiosa without knowing it. So you're setting up all these characters for, it's like a a Falcon Crest only set in crime. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of where they were probably going with the series and it didn't. You know, didn't it, 13 you got, episodes. You got Ron Perlman playing a hitman, Blink and You'll Miss Him, Giancarlo Esposito uh-huh. playing a drug dealer. I mean, there's just like, just watching, it's like, wow, there's, and look, there's. And there's no chicken anywhere. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I think his character from this then later, be, you know, went, went. Gus as a young man. Yeah, Gus and, as a young man. And this is New York location yeah. heavy. And what's kind of funny about watching it now is when they All make the it, rough neighborhoods. Yeah, the, the rough, quote unquote, neighborhoods that now I'm looking at these people's like, a, you know, they, they bust in on some drug dealers who are in this ratty old apartment. And I'm thinking, oh, I think that apartment probably now goes for $3 million. Yeah. Such as the television of the 1980s. Yeah. As we move into the 1990s, we have one of the big stars of one of the biggest hit series of recent years, Marge Hellenberger, starring in Where Are My Children? And this is a true story and a tugger of the heart. I'm not talking about the movie. I'm talking about the events of the film. Yeah. How awful. This yes. is how this is, awful. That's, this that's is why this movie life. was made, because yeah. it's a true story. True life horror story. And it also reminded me of the Dog Soldier episode of Longmire, because the same thing that this woman goes through still is going on. There was a monogram film that we watched, Black Market Babies. Right. This is an issue, basically this TV movie from 1994, about a woman who is... Single mother, three kids. And living in a a smaller town in the South. Small town in the 60s. And and because she's a single mother, everyone assumes... She's a she's loose, loose woman. when she isn't. And she's kind of railroaded into jail. And while she's in jail for three months on a sort of trumped up charge, the county comes in and takes her three kids and for profit adopts them away. Yeah, a corrupt family court judge takes her kids and sells them. And then she spends two decades. 25 years trying to track Trying to find down. out what happened to her children. That's and the movie. Will she succeed? That is what you will find out as you watch Where Are My Children? And that wraps up the TV movies that we're adding to the Warner Archive collection and all the new movies we're adding to the Warner Archive collection and television series this week. But there are new releases always being added to Warner Archive Instant. Our new subscription video on demand service in which we and Constantly invite you to try a free trial, and there is now a one-month one free month. trial where you can experience hundreds and hundreds of feature films as well as hundreds and hundreds of hours of television entertainment. 
that is rare and hard to find, not what you'd find on other services, and that's why you come to Warner Archive Instant, so you can see the best of the rare material that you can't find anyplace else. We're always adding new things, and we like to talk about our picks here on the podcast. And we want to remind you that Warner Archive Instant is available on PC and Mac. You can also watch it on your iPad, and by using AirPlay, you can see it on your Apple TV and Roku and Roku Stick also make it possible to watch in HD, as does iPad and AirPlay and Apple TV. There's, so a, there's a whole there's lot, a of lot, technical of, lot of technical jargon in there, but basically <laughs> PC and Mac, standard definition, iPad and Roku. Roku are the places where if the material is in high definition, you can see it in fascinating, stunning, glorious 1080p HD. And it's the only place where you can see this content in HD. And it's a th- quite a thrill indeed. So let's talk about what our new picks are this week. I watched Term of Trial from 1963. Uh And this was an early disc release, I think, from 2009 or 10, right, George? This was one of the earlier Warner Archive disc releases. And uh, I had never uh, seen this one. We never really talked about it. There's certainly a lot to talk about. Oh, my. Well, this is one of the great things about Instant Service because it's right there. And this is a 1963 kitchen sink drama, you know, English uh, New Wave. And I watched it just based off of the one-line description, which said, a schoolgirl obsessed with her teacher accuses him of molesting her. And I was like, okay, I'm in. And this was not your typical subject matter from 1963. Absolutely not. And then when I saw the handheld camera, black and white photography and widescreen, and the uh, running, the footsteps on the cobblestones, I went, oh, kitchen sink, Lawrence Olivier. I was so excited because this is bleak, working class drama of a man who, uh, Lawrence Olivier plays, uh, this is one of his mouse roles, where he plays an unassuming teacher who is a conscientious objector in World War II. Everybody Surely s- you mean coward. <laughs> Everybody sees him as a coward, but he sees himself as a man of principle. And the one kind of bright light in his career is a a girl starts taking an interest, a 15-year-old girl to start taking an interest in her education in him himself. And he starts to tutor her. She makes a pass. He turns her down and consequences unfold. And this is from an actress who would find greater fame in later years in such films as Ryan's Daughter and The Man Who Loved Cat Dancing. It's Sarah Miles, and this is one of her very, very first performances, and she's wonderful as the young girl, and Laurence Olivier is Laurence Olivier. It doesn't get better than that. And, and what Terrence, a fine choice. Terrence Stamp. Uh, this Terrence is his uh, almost proto-punk blackboard jungle role in mm-hmm. here, and he's up against Olivier. Really, I think this was his first film dominating these scenes. And so this has a little Lolita in it, you know, Too Young to Kiss. That was sort of my connection. And a little Blackboard Jungle. Just a real fine evening. A good example of the very bare-bones British cinema where they weren't caught in the Hollywoodisms of the time. And uh, Warner Brothers brought that film to the shores, and Warner Archive brought this film to DVD a few years ago. And now Warner Archive Instant 
brings it to you streaming, and we're glad to offer it as part of the Warner Archive Instant Service. Dan, your pick. It's very similar to Matthew's. It's a <laughs> searing social drama ripped from the headlines. Oh. I'm talking about MGM's 1934 picture, Death on the Diamond. Oh, I haven't seen this one. This is not your father's baseball movie. If you like baseball and you like murder mysteries, this is the movie for you. <laughs> and do. if only there were a series of them, we could make a collection. But this is, stands on its own as a... Uh, Robert a Young plays shot. a rookie pitcher who is leading his team from the bottom of the ranks to a shot at the World Series uh-huh. when someone starts killing off the team <laughs> one by one. So rookie pitcher must still help the team win and find out the culprit. This is a film that is not that well known. Dying for a remake. And (laughs) it deserves to be better known. And that's a lot of what we try to do with Warner Archive. This is one of the great things about Incident Warner Archive. This is a film that's not going to get a lot of airplay, a lot of talk. But if you're looking to, to just see something and be surprised by what you're seeing, this is one of those films that you wouldn't normally come across, but now you have a chance to watch it. Let me tell you, among the things you'll see are Ted Healy and Mickey Rooney. Oh, wow. This is a great choice, and it is not yet available on DVD. It's never had a home video release. We will be remastering it in the future and bring it to you on DVD. But how else can you see it? But by watching it on Warner Archive Instant. So an excellent pick. My pick is also a title that the Warner Archive Collection brought to DVD not so long ago. And we talked about it on the podcast because we all love the film. And it's Nicholas Ray directing Joan Fontaine, Robert Ryan, and Mel Ferrer in Born to be Bad. And this is streaming on Warner Archive Instant in scintillating 1080p high definition. And it looks great. Also co-stars Zachary Scott and Joan Leslie in her post-Warner Brothers career. And I love this movie. Joan Fontaine plays an evil seductress who will do anything to get what she wants. And she does a great job doing it. It has, as I mentioned, I think on the last podcast, some of the best dialogue that Robert Ryan has ever had to throw at a woman. Yeah. I mean, this is Robert Ryan at his peak as one of the best and most popular leading men at RKO. And... uh, he fulfills his role wonderfully, but there's there's really witty dialogue. Mm-hmm. Mel Ferrer's character. Mm-hmm. It's actually interesting you say that because I went, I saw this in the theater at the latest Norfest. It played perfect for the audience. Like it played. Yeah, almost, I wish I liked your dialogue line. Yeah, yeah. It, it like some of the lines played like a comedy, yeah. and they were laughing with the characters. That and that sort of sensibility is much more modern mm-hmm. than from at the time. Absolutely, there are cynical. There are some lines that are cynical that are played for laughs that were probably intended to be sort of tongue in cheek at the time. But the world was far less cynical at the time this movie was made, which <laughs> yeah. is why this movie holds up so well. And there are two films with this title. There's an earlier 1934 Fox movie, not a very good movie, with Cary Grant and Loretta Young. So don't confuse it with that bad movie. This is the great 1950 RKO movie. And uh, it uh, is really Joan Fontaine at her most wicked, wicked best. And uh, she just passed away recently, Yeah, and we mourn her passing, but we salute her great talent 
with Born to be Bad. So it is now streaming in glorious high definition on Warner Archive Instant and still available for purchase on DVD from the Warner Archive collection. WarnerArchive.com is the URL to buy it and WarnerArchiveInstant.com is where you can go to sign up for your free trial and become a member. And once you're a member of Warner Archive Instant, you'll love the continuous edition of television and motion picture entertainment that is constantly at your disposal. One of the highlights of our Warner Archive Collection podcast is always when we have letters, correspondence coming from you, the listening audience, who takes pen to paper or preferably crayon to construction paper and sends us a letter or a big vanilla envelope if you want something back to our address where we will read your letter on the air and answer some of your questions. Matthew, if people want to send correspondence to the Warner Archive Collection podcast, where can they send it? Warner Archive Collection, B1610-8, 3400 Riverside Drive, Burbank, California, 91522. And today we have a letter from longtime letter writer and listener, Jimmy from Saraland, Alabama. By the way, I, I just re- thought of a kind of letter that we've never received as I open up this letter. We have never received a ransom note. Nobody has ever like cut and pasted uh, letters or words from magazines and pasted them together. I expect you people. Well, if you want to cut and paste and send a letter like that, and it isn't a ransom note, well, and it's all stylistically. In good, if it's only stylistic, we'd appreciate. Yeah, it. that's true. I want a good question, but I'm just saying we've never received that. But this is on pencil, and it is on college ruled three hole punch paper. I have purchased two Samuel Goldwyn titles that have been released by Warner Home Video, Guys and Dolls, and Hans Christian Andersen. Any hope for a Blu-ray release of Goldwyn's final production of Porky and Bess? It is long overdue. Jimmy. Well, that's a question for Warner Home Video and not for the Warner Archive Collection. But since Jimmy is a dedicated letter writer, we'll provide the answer to that. Samuel Goldwyn Company, or I should say... The Samuel Goldwyn Family Trust owns the classic Samuel Goldwyn Library, which Warner Home Video has under license from the Samuel Goldwyn Trust. And Porgy and Bess is among the films in the trust, but the Goldwyn Trust is unable to distribute the film without coming to an agreement with the owners of the underlying literary work. So if that ever does happen... That would become part of our deal, but until it does happen, it's not part of our deal and nothing that we can do anything about. It involves third parties. I'm sure that Jimmy and maybe some other people out there might be interested if, I don't know, you had any hints or anything about any Blu-rays coming up? I just can't think of any. It's too, oh, well, I'll have to shake you loose after the show to find out what's coming up. I guess if we just stay tuned or you subscribe to our newsletters, you'll be the first to know. That's right. You never know when just something will fly out of the air and <laughs> pop into your hot. Uh, All right, I, I tried, people. I tried. Well, I guess with that, that wraps up to the show. Indeed, indeed. But we will be announcing new DVDs and Blu-rays and additions to Warner Archive Instant on our next podcasts. And we're here every week with new releases to let you know about them. So until next time, I'm George Feldenstein. I'm Matthew Patterson. Rory Spindell. Thanks for listening. Look forward to the next Warner Archive podcast. <laughs>